0: Grace and mercy and peace to you today from God our Father and from Jesus our Savior too. This event happened in my lifetime, although I was just a kindergartner, so I really didn't know the significance of it at the time. The fall of the Berlin Wall. Uh, And looking at some of you, some of you probably remember this a lot better than I do. Uh, For those of you who are younger and don't remember this like me, uh, at the end of World War II, Germany was divided. So America and Great Britain and France took sections in the west, and Russia took sections in the east. So West Germany remained democratic and free. East Germany was communist and under the control of of Russia. Berlin was the same way, so there was a West Berlin that was controlled by United States and its allies. East Berlin was, was communist. And over those next years, a lot of people tried to get away from East Berlin and come to West Berlin. Something like three and a half million people left. And this was some of the youngest and brightest people. And so the communist government said, we've got to stop people leaving. And so almost overnight in 1961, they built a wall. It ended up being 12 feet high and 87 miles long. And once it was fortified all the way, there were hundreds of guard towers there were over 200 dog runs with guard dogs. There was a 100-yard stretch that was cleared so that if anyone was in that 100 yards, they'd get shot. There were electric fences, there was a moat, there were minefields. Uh, it, was, it was to prevent people from going from, from East Berlin to, to, to West Berlin, which is the opposite of most walls, right? Most walls keep people out. This one was meant to keep the people, people in, and people hated the wall. That's why it was all covered in, in graffiti. And you can go back and listen to speeches. Ronald Reagan made one about how the wall had to be torn down. It was put up when JFK was a president. He made speeches against the two. But how in the world do you, do you tear down a wall that's that big? Uh, it, it had something like almost two million tons of concrete and other materials that were used to build it. How would the wall ever come down? Uh, it actually came down by accident in November of 1989, There was a communist leader in East Berlin who was on a press conference on live TV and he mistakenly announced that all travel restrictions were removed. (laughs) And he was wrong, they weren't, but he announced that on live TV and everybody heard it. So then this huge crowd of people came to the Berlin Wall on both sides and they said, all travel restrictions have been removed, let us through the gates. And the soldiers didn't know what to do who were guarding it, so they started letting people through. And before you know it, you've got all these people Going back and forth and through, I read a report of an American reporter who was there in the next day, and he said this was the most significant event he'd ever covered in his lifetime. So you've got people from East Berlin coming through the holes now in this, in this wall, and they're just dazzled at the electric lights they see in West Berlin. And the people from West Berlin brought out their bananas and gave bananas to the people from East Berlin, because those people had grown up their whole lives and never experienced what a banana was. And this reporter said that one of the things that always stays with him is the sound that as he was there by the wall that day was the sound of hundreds of hammers. Because eventually they got bulldozers out. That was like half a year later. But initially, it was all the people took their hammers and started beating up the wall. So that picture on the left is the one I always think of is this guy in his tight 80s jeans and leather jacket with a sledgehammer uh, doing the best he can to, to break down that wall. So that was November 1989. Less than a year later, Germany was reunited uh, into what is Germany today. And within the next couple of years, the Soviet Union fell apart. Now, I I bring this up today, not because you need a history lesson about the end of the Cold War, but because that ties in with a picture that the Apostle Paul used in Ephesians chapter 2 about what the great truth of Epiphany is. Paul says that Jesus destroyed the wall. Not a concrete wall in Berlin, but Paul says there was a wall between Jews and Gentiles. God had given the Jewish people laws like don't eat pork, like you need to be circumcised. Some of those set the people apart from from Gentiles. In other ways, the people did this themselves where God would have been happy for Gentiles to come into the Jewish people and, and find salvation there Uh, But there are ways where people tend to put up walls between each other, and different races and cultures have a hard time getting along with each other. So, as Paul comes as an apostle, he sees that there has been a wall between the Jews and the Gentiles. And Paul says, Jesus broke down that, that wall, not with a sledgehammer, but with his blood when he died for us. Now, I read that section before. But let's go back and look at it in more detail. In Ephesians chapter two. So if you've got a paper copy of the worship folder, it's on page nine. Otherwise, I'll put the key verses up as Paul talks about how Jesus destroyed the wall. Now in a way, there, there are three sections. The first section is, here's what it was like before Jesus came when the wall was still standing. Center section is, here's what Jesus did. And the third section is, here's what that means now for us who live after the wall's been torn down. Going back to 2, verse 11, Paul asks us to remember something. Remember what it was like before the wall came down. So he says this, Therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves a the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember this. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Now, when I start talking about walls, I don't know which side you imagine yourself standing on. I usually imagine myself on the good side. I imagine myself on the West Berlin side, welcoming these poor people from the East, uh, but that hasn't been me. I'm on, I've been on the good side throughout my life, but that's not what Paul asks you to imagine today because he's, he's writing to people who are, are Gentiles. As far as I know, that's, that's me. I don't have much Jewish blood, if any, in my family tree. I don't know about you. Uh, but as Paul writes to us who are Gentiles, he says, imagine what it was like on the bad side of the wall. And it got a lot worse than that we'd never experienced bananas in our lifetime. Uh, if you look at that verse, do you see the four things Paul writes? What was it like living on that side of the wall? First thing is, Remember how it was when you were separate from Christ. Uh, And thankfully, I I cannot honestly remember a day when that was true in my life. Maybe some of you can. But to be separate from Christ is a horrible place to be. Next one is excluded from citizenship in Israel. And later on, Paul's going to talk more about the picture of us being citizens with God's people. But now it's like we're in a different country looking in and, and we're not citizens among the people of God. Third one is foreigners to the covenants of the promise. So you think through all the promises God made that apply to his people, and if if we weren't part of his people, then none of those promises are true for us either. And the last two, without hope, without God in the world. Paul says, remember that that was what it was like when there was a wall and you were on on the wrong side of that, that wall. But that's not the reality for us because the next verse Paul says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Again, not by bulldozers or sledgehammers, but by the blood of a Savior who died on the cross for us. That that little baby born in Bethlehem, he grew up to be our Savior. And he was crucified on a cross. He shed his blood and died because he was taking on our sins, the sins of the whole world on himself. Paul says that was the day that Jesus tore down the wall when he shed his blood and died for us. So the next section goes into that in more detail. Here's here's verse 14. For he himself, Jesus, is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. Jesus is the one, the only one who could bring peace. And he did that by, when he died for us, fulfilling all the laws that God had given his Old Testament people. So the laws about not eating pork, about needing to be circumcised, about having to worship on the Sabbath, all those were fulfilled in Jesus. And so today, whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised, that's not what divides us. Uh, whether you eat, eat pork or not, which day you worship, those are not the things that, that divide us anymore because Jesus came and brought Jews and Gentiles in, into one. He, he set those aside by fulfilling them. And this was his purpose. If, if there's a key section, it'd be this slide. Verse 15 and the beginning of 16. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. Again, it centers on, on the cross. Jesus died for us, and that leads to two different kinds of peace, and they're related. One is, we have peace with God. We have been reconciled with our Father through Jesus Christ. Before, we were his enemies, but when Jesus took away our sins, he took that away, and now we are even part of of God's family. And this verse says that if if, if the one side, if the Jews have peace with God through Jesus, and if the Gentiles have peace with God, have been reconciled through Jesus— then shouldn't they have peace and be reconciled with each other? How could you have one group that's at peace with God, the other group's at peace with God, but there's hostility and and enmity between them? No, Paul says that when Jesus made peace between both sides with God, that also healed healed the the break. It, It tore down the wall. It brought together those two into one. So part of Jesus' purpose in dying for us on the cross was to take people who were divided and unite them together Into one body. Next verse. He came and preached peace to you who are far away, and peace to those who are near, for through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Jesus' message is a message of peace. And that's what I get to proclaim to you this morning is you have peace through Jesus Christ. And that in Jesus Christ, all people have access to the same God through faith in him. There is only one Father, and yet whether you're a Jew or Gentile, no matter your background, you have access to God the Father through Jesus by one Spirit. And do you see there the three persons of the Trinity? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There is one God, not that there's a God just for Jewish people and a God for everybody else, Not that there are gods for all different people around the world. There is only one God, and through Jesus Christ now, that wall is down and we all have access to God through Jesus by the one Spirit. Now, maybe you're already drawing some of here's what it means, but that's what the next verses say. So here's verse 19. consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Paul chooses four terms. They move from being really far away to being really close. Do you see them there? First one is, you're not, you're not foreigners. That word describes somebody in a different country. So to use an example from, from our side of the world, let's say there's somebody in Guatemala who really wants to be in the United States but they're looking at it from a whole different country. They're not a citizen here. They don't even even live here. Uh, That'd be a foreigner. Paul says that's not your status with God. Next one is a stranger. Uh, The word for that moves the person closer. That'd be somebody who's living in a country but isn't a citizen there. So now imagine there's somebody from Guatemala who's living here in the United States. And for our purposes, it doesn't matter if they came here legally or if they're undocumented. But the status of somebody who lives in a country where they're not a citizen, they're closer, but there still is a gap and a distance. They don't have all the rights of a citizen. Paul says that's not who you are now either. Third one is, you are now fellow citizens with God's people. With the saints, And now we're getting a lot closer, aren't we? Who are we now in Jesus Christ? We are fellow citizens in God's kingdom with all the people who believe in Jesus and so are our holy, our saints. But Paul says that's not actually close enough. It's not just that we're citizens with God's people. The last part he says, You're even members of the household of God. And how amazing is that, that when you're baptized, God adopted you as, as, as his son, as his daughter, that you are now part of his family. We're gonna pray the Lord's Prayer where you can say, our Father in heaven, and that's, that's, that's not just figure of speech, that's the reality for us spiritually, that we are part of, of God's family. So what's the result of the wall getting torn down? You think of, of us being on the wrong side of the wall to begin with, and Paul says, you're not in some other country, You're not some resident foreigner. You're not even just a citizen. God has come and made you part of his own family. And then the picture shifts a little bit. Paul talked about Jesus tearing down the wall, but Jesus doesn't just tear stuff apart. He also builds things. So verses 20 and 21 say, you are, we are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. So if you're imagining things getting ripped down out of the wall, now the picture is building them back up. Not as a wall, but as a house for God to live in. And the picture now is Jesus is able to take people from all different kinds of backgrounds. People who may look and speak and sound very different and yet people who are built together into the one Christian church. And the last verse is this, in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. That is who we are, and what a change from what it was like before Jesus came. Now I hope you've already been taking points away from God's word to take home with you this week. Let me give you a couple of applications Uh, that I'd like to set before you this morning. One would be, the epiphany changes the way that I hope you look at yourself. I don't know how close you feel to God, but I know there are people who feel like, God must be at a distance, I must be far away from him. Who am I that I would be, I'd be close to God? But the message of Epiphany is it doesn't matter what nation you or your ancestors come from. It doesn't matter today if you've been a Christian your whole life or have just heard about him recently. Jesus is able to take down the walls that separate us from God and from each other. So today's a day to rejoice in how close Jesus has brought you to your God and Savior. It's not like you're living in some other country. It's not like you're on the wrong side of some wall somewhere. God has brought you to be a citizen among his people and even a member of his own household. That's the identity that you have in your Savior, Jesus. And if you know that about yourself, then I would hope that would shape the way that you look at other people too. Are there ways in our world where people are divided, where there are walls up that separate people? Uh, Yeah, Paul talks about hostility. Uh, And of anything that 2020 proved, it proved a lot of things, but one of them is how alive and well racism and hostility and anger and walls between different people, how real that still is in our world. And if you dig into that, it's not like there's one culture that has a monopoly on racism and hostility. The reality is that's one of the ugly results of the sinful nature that's inside of all of us that it's easy, whether consciously or unconsciously, to favor the people who are like you. I favor people who are like, like me. It can be very hard to, to cross that gap to somebody who is, who is very different. And, and what's the answer for that? I think we in America, we've heard advice this year and plenty of it can be good. Is it a good thing to listen to other people, to what they've experienced? Is it good to try to imagine for yourself what it'd be like to walk in somebody else's shoes? Is it good for you to examine your patterns of thinking and your patterns of speaking, your patterns of how you treat people? Well, yeah, aren't, aren't all those part of what God calls us to be as we live in love toward the people around us? Well, yeah, but as Christians, I'd hope it goes a whole level deeper. What's the Bible's answer to hatred and hostility to walls between people? Answer to the Bible is Jesus Christ our Savior and the peace that we have in him. Because if Jesus died for me and for somebody else, if, if I've been reconciled to God and, and they've been reconciled to God, should I then have a hostility between me and, and them? If, if Jesus ripped down this wall, if If he can take me and somebody very different from me and and build us together into the wall of the Christian church at the same time, if Jesus can do that, then should I rip down the Christian church and try to rebuild the walls that divide people? Of course not, right? Uh, Don't you and I want to join with Jesus in this work of tearing down any walls that divide and instead bringing people together in the peace that Jesus brings? Epiphany is about a savior, not just of you or of me or of some people. Epiphany is about there is a savior who came for everybody. Now in closing, I, I saw a video, it was a couple years ago, about a pastor. He was talking about how he was on a plane flight. Remember those back in the day when people rode on planes? Uh, he, was, he was on a plane, chatting with a person next to him and they got into all this small talk and person asked him, well, where do you work? Uh, And he had learned that if he said pastor, people often would just kind of clam up and that was kind of the end of the conversation sometimes. So instead of saying that, he said this, I work for this worldwide venture uh, where we're currently working in every country on earth. We serve people from every country and language. And our goal is to serve people from from birth to death their whole life. Uh, We're a company that is actively serving everybody in the world. And the person's like, well, that sounds interesting. What company is that? And he says, well, maybe you've heard of it. It's called the Christian Church. And I don't know if, if that's the way that you would describe yourself and uh, this, this, this movement that we are part of uh, as followers of Jesus, but I hope that Epiphany does change the way that you look at yourself and at this world. That rather than yourself being divided from God, being far from him, that you know Jesus Christ and how he has brought you near to God and not just you, but others too. That he has destroyed the wall. He's the one who brings us together. In him, we have peace and have been reconciled to God. Amen. Let's now rise and confess our faith together.